Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. We're going to study about Passover tonight. And it's going to lead into Sunday morning is the time of first fruits. But tonight is also a tremendously important revelation called Shabbat Hagadul, the great Sabbath. So I want to ask you if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to read starting with verse 17. Now, Most of you understand that, and I'm going to tie this all in in the next several, next couple weeks, in Sunday and next Friday and then tonight and then the following Sunday, but it all leads up to the second coming of the Messiah. One of the greatest signs that the Messiah is ready to come is where Jews and Gentiles become that one new man, that the wall between us is torn down. One of the greatest rabbis in the history of Judaism, Rabbi Schneerson, said these words right before he passed away. He said, there is a time coming, and he said this in the 90s. He said, there's a time coming when the eyes of the Gentiles will be open, and they will begin to understand the Jewish roots of their religion. And they'll begin to understand things like Passover, and Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur, and they'll begin to understand things like Shabbat Hagadol. And they said, at first, the Jewish people will say, why are you doing this? These belong to us. Now listen to the next part. But the power and the blessing and the favor of God will be so strong on these Gentiles that it will get the world's attention, both Jew and Gentile, and together we will return to the word of God. And when that happens, the Messiah will return. So I know that, you know, we're, we're spaced out because of COVID, but we literally have thousands and thousands and thousands of people Anywhere from ten to 50,000 people are coming on stream with us to learn this. Now, why is that important? This is the fulfillment of prophecy that the two are becoming one. And that means the Messiah is close to return. Now, what we're going to study tonight in Passover and then the great Shabbat is absolutely fascinating but just understanding that there are christians that are returning to their jewish roots of a jewish jesus a jewish moses a jewish paul is an end time bible prophecy now here's the thing that i'd always heard when i was growing up or or when i became a christian is that's the old testament we're the new testament With Jesus, we don't need anything in the Old Testament. Number one, the Bible says, Moses teaches, that these are not Jewish feasts. And I say that with all respect. 
They were first given to the Jewish people, but they do not, they are not called by Moses Jewish feasts. They are called by Moses feast of the Lord. Over and over again, the Lord says, these are my feasts. And what we need to understand is, is those of us who have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been grafted in and the promises of Abraham are also ours. We have not, we have not replaced Israel. Say amen. We, that, is, that is one of the most demonic teachings there is. We have not replaced Israel. We have been grafted into Israel by the grace of God, and so forth. Therefore, these things belong to us also. Read with me in Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 17. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, if you have a chance, read that whole chapter, but for the sake of time, because there's so much to teach, here we see, and it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, it's John, where Jesus is eating Passover. Now, just a thought, if Jesus felt the need to understand Passover, to keep Passover, maybe those who are to be like him are to also follow and understand the teachings of Passover. So if we were doing, and hopefully next year there'll be no COVID issues and we'll be able to do a Seder dinner together and we'll all be able to eat. In reality, when you do a Seder meal, um, there are 15 steps besides the meal in in doing uh, Passover. And we're going to run through a few of them very quickly, the main ones. But hopefully that, Next year, we can do a meal together and celebrate the Passover together. And uh, I know Jewish folks would love to join us. And I, I, just think, I just think we're so close to the coming of the Messiah. We're so close to the outpouring of God's spirit that uh, uh, I'm hoping that we have some time that we can enjoy a Seder together. But if we were doing that together, we would all do this at each table The first thing we do after we light the candles is we wash our hands. Now, washing of the hands is symbolic of a baptism. Remember when Jesus said, uh, John, baptize me. We've been taught that baptism, the church has been taught that baptism is an outer sign of an inward work. That can't be true. Or it's a sign of joining the church. That can't be true. Because Jesus didn't need a sign, an outer sign of an inward work. He is the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, without spot or without blemish. So what is baptism really all about? Remember, Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, how does a man enter a second time? How is a man born again? Does he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, you're a teacher of the Torah. You know this, there is a physical birth. When you are physically born, a woman's water breaks. When you are born again, the water breaks. This is called the mikvah in Hebrew, a baptismal tank, a mikvah, which is in Hebrew, the womb of the world. So when Jesus 
was baptized by John, he was not showing an outward sign of an inward work. He was not joining the church. What he was doing was breaking the curse of any limitation from touching this world. Remember, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. That's the purpose of baptism. Uh, When you look at uh, John the Baptist and the group that he was with, they would do this every day before they would study. And, and, And it would be a renewing of the mind so that you're not clogged up with the things of this world and you can hear the voice of God and understand the things of God. So we can't all do this today, but I will do it for you and you receive this as if you were doing it that word that term is a hebrew term for lifting the lifting up of hands Lifting up of holy hands. So what we've done is we've just broken the limitations of this world so we can receive the blessings of God for this day. Now remember, why does God give us moedims? Why does God give us appointed times? Is this not an appointed time? Is there not an appointed time? That's so that we don't miss those because at these windows... God gives us knowledge to tap into the power that is released on these specific days. God is God 24-7. But on these specific days, God is doing something different, stronger, more powerful, more anointed. That's why he says, call on the Lord while he is near. This Shabbat Hagadul, leading in the Passover, leading into the death of Jesus, leading into the resurrection, is so powerful that it's a shame that, you know, God says, my people destroyed for what reason? Lack of knowledge. So that's why it's so exciting for people around the world to be opening up to understanding the Jewishness of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus kept the Passover. All right, so I'm going to go through this th- these very quickly. Now, at the end of the, did we pass? Are we doing not tonight? Not tonight. N- next Wait. next Friday or okay, we're not going to do it tonight. But at the end of it, I will do Shabbat for you and with you. Um, when when we when we do what the church calls the Lord's Supper. I know, and I know most of you know this, but there's always people, we got to bring everybody along at the same time. The Lord's Supper is Passover. When Jesus met with, that's what we just read, and they met and they ate and they broke bread and they drank wine, this was Passover. This was, this was not uh, a, a, um, a church something the church came up with, this is from the time of Israel leaving Egypt. When we take communion, the Lord's Supper, most cases we take one cup. When Jesus did it, he took four cups. And we're going to show you the four cups. And we'll, we'll do it all at the end. The first cup that Jesus drank from 
is called the cup of sanctification. And what that means is simply that when Jesus took the first cup with the disciples and they drank that first cup, the, the wine representing the blood of Jesus later said that no matter what you've done in the past, you have been sanctified by the blood. Now, why is that important? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And the Bible says we're to come boldly before the throne of God. Amen? Amen. We're to come with confidence. We'll come boldly. But what happens? We come before God and the devil says, you have no right. You, you, you don't deserve this. And that's right. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. But we do get what was paid for by the life, the resurrection, and the blood of Jesus. And so that is the first cup, the cup of sanctification. So that we can't enter into anything else unless we understand. It doesn't matter if if, what we did. It doesn't matter what we did. When we come to Jesus, the the blood of Jesus washes our sins away as if we had never. Though our sins be as scarlet. The blood makes them white as snow. How many people miss the blessing of God, the favor of God, the promises of God, because they begin to pray and then the devil whispers in their ear and they go, you know what? That's right. I'm being punished for what I did. Jesus was punished for what we did. We can't pay the price any better than he did. Somebody say amen. So we take the first cup, the cup of sanctification, realizing that there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ, right? And I can tell you've heard me tell the story about when I first went in the ministry and that guy would sit in the back and, I, you know, and then as soon as I started to preach, he'd leave. And finally, I went after him. The first, you know, first month he would do this. And I, and, and I grabbed him the street and I said, sir, and he goes, you have no right to be a preacher. And he named things that only I knew, God knew, and Satan knew. Right? So who is the accuser of the brethren? That, even though it came from the mouth of a man, that didn't come from God. That came from Satan. Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So the first cup is to understand that we are sanctified. Though our sins be deep dyed scarlet. You know, and I'm just going to say this is is probably, this is not an excuse to sin. But I think a lot of times people who were big sinners end up staying saved longer because they don't want to go back to that. And we realize what grace really is. Sunday, we're going to talk about the grace. That's one of the three blessings released on first fruits. So the first cup is the cup of sanctification. So we drink that cup, and excuse me for going through this so quickly. The next thing happens is that you would have your family around, and your youngest children are given four questions to ask. And in a nutshell, it's basically, why is this day different than any other day? Now, at the end of of tonight because it is not actually Passover yet. It's Shabbat Hagadul. We're going to uh, eat from the challah bread. But during Passover, you don't eat challah bread. And we'll show you this in a minute. You eat unleavened bread. 
Matter of fact, you're supposed to eat no bread but, uh, and nothing but unleavened bread for eight days, seven days plus one. And so the children would say, why is this? Why, why is this day different? Now, the whole reason for Passover is, number one, there is a, an anointing that comes during this time. But the second reason, the most important reason, or equally important, is that we're to remember what it was like when we were slaves to sin. David said, remind me of the pit from which I was dug. I think one of the biggest mistakes Christians make is that they forget the mercy and the grace and the miracle power of God. And so this is to remind us. It's talking about the Israelites being slaves in Egypt. But when we see Christ in the Passover, we were the slaves, not in Egypt, but we were the slaves to sin and the slaves to this world. And just as it reminds the Israelites about the redemption from Egypt and Pharaoh, it reminds us that we don't want to go back to Egypt. We don't want to go back to the world. We don't want to go back to the ways that we used to be. Amen. So the children would ask these questions, and the whole purpose of this is to teach them, to teach us, but to remind us of what it was like before, before we knew Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Then the next part of the Passover would be the telling of the story of the Israelites, We start with Abraham, that Abraham was the first Hebrew. Abraham realized that it's it's not right that there are there is only one God, there's not multiple gods. God says, Get up and I'll show you a land. God brings him to Israel. We know the whole story, and I'll say this quickly about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Ishmael that's involved with that. You tell the whole story. Out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then comes the story of Joseph. Joseph was the one who, right before the Israelites moved to Egypt, he comes, remember Joseph with the coat of many colors, and he says, let me tell you what God showed me. And Joseph was right, he just didn't have humility. It's a great teaching. He was right, but he didn't share the story with love and humility. His brothers get upset, they throw him into a prison, they sell him into slavery, but all along the way, God gave favor to Joseph until Joseph went from the pit to being the second most powerful person in all of Egypt, in the kingdom of Egypt, which was like the world, the the world's most powerful country, and Joseph, because of God's destiny, became number two to Pharaoh. Now, because of, and I'm saying this quickly, because of the Israelites being in the land of Egypt, Egypt, when, when the Israelites came in, Egypt wasn't flourishing. They were the most powerful, but they were not flourishing. But because the Israelites brought into the country the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the blessing of God flourished throughout all Egypt. And this is something just to stop and remind, the reason why America is so great is not because of the land itself, but because our founding fathers 
brought the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it just, it just, it just baffles my mind that all these people want to come to America because America is so great, but they want to change it from what made it great. And we need to remember what happened to the Israelites. The Bible says because of Joseph and the children of Israel, there was great blessing that that didn't just touch the Israelites. It touched everybody. The blessing of God in America doesn't just touch Christians and Jews. The blessing of God touches everybody. But then the Bible says the Pharaoh that knew Joseph died. And a new Pharaoh came on. And this Pharaoh did not know Joseph. In other words, in Hebrew, he did not know about the God that Joseph brought to the land of Egypt. And so he looked at the blessing of God on not just the nation of Israel, but he looked at the blessing of God on the Jews, and he said, we're going to stop this. Now, that's kind of what's happening in our country right now. We're going to throw the Ten Commandments out of our schools, out of our governments, out of our courts, out of our politicians, And I don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans, guys. You need to understand that when Pharaoh doesn't know about the God of Joseph anymore, nothing but disaster is going to happen. And so all of a sudden, these powerful people, the blessing of God, the Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph took them and stole their businesses, stole their, uh, their, their flocks and their herds and everything, and turned them into slaves and so when we hear of Israel being, in, or the Israelites being in Egypt for 200 years, that's not quite correct. The Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years, but it was 200 years that they were in slavery. Now, this Sunday or the following Sunday, we're going to tie this in. There finally came a time when they called out, in James chapter 5, they called out to the Lord of Seboeth, not the Lord of the Sabbath. I, it's funny, I, always, I hear preachers preaching, and the Lord of Sabbath, it's not the Lord of the Sabbath. Although he is the Lord of the Sabbath, it's the Lord of Seboeth. And the Lord of Seboeth means the captain of the host, the army of God, the angels of God, but it also means the master avenger. So here we see, this is what Passover is all about, that a handful of the Jews decided to call back on the God who is the master avenger. And it's all, it's all tied in with Sundays and, and the blessing on, on, on uh, the three blessings on Passover. All right. So the, 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 then came Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, and he put them in slavery. And the Bible says that when they went into slavery... Now listen to this quote. They did not remember their God. Slowly, the Egyptians moved them away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they began to worship, along with the world, the gods of the world. Now I think about that during Passover. I think about how a a, a good friend of mine, a huge church here in Texas... And said to me a few years ago, you know what? 
Listen, we got to catch up with the modern age. It doesn't matter if somebody is transgender. It doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if a man marries a man. And and you know what? God doesn't hate anybody. But we we who believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we who have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've got to make sure that we don't slide along and begin to worship the gods of Egypt. And it's happening in church. That's what the telling of this is. The remind, oh man, that's happening again. Do you understand? The telling of the story. And so the Bible says they remembered not their God. So d- during this time, at the end of this time, God raises up a man by the name of Moses. And Moses, we know the story. Moses, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh, uh, calls a decree that all the firstborn males, now it's important that we understand this, the firstborn males of the Jews are to be killed. So Pharaoh's mom and sister, instead of allowing Moses as a baby to be killed, puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile River. His sister is running along watching and Pharaoh's daughter is bathing with her servants, sees the baby, grabs him, and brings him into Pharaoh's home and raises Moses as her child and an Egyptian. Then we know the story that Moses sees an Egyptian beating a a Jewish slave and he rises up and he kills this Egyptian and he realizes that these are his people. God calls him, long story short, we know the burning bush, we know the whole story. God calls him out of the burning bush and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to say, let my people go. Now, let me share something right here with you. I was studying something on Shabbat Hagadul today, and, and I saw something that I had never learned before. And so I text Rabbi Lappin. And Rabbi Lappin uh, texts me back, and Rabbi Lappin, by the way, has COVID right now. And so he said, uh, I'm so sorry. He said, I'm so, I'm very, very sick. I said, don't bother answering. I understand. He, call, he texted me back and he said, let me get my strength up because I want, I want merit by being involved what you're teaching out of the Torah tonight. And so, so he, and, and you think about the end of Malachi, the hearts of the fathers to the son, the hearts of the sons of the fathers, the one new man, that's all part of it. And so Rabbi texts me these things, you know, that I was studying. He said, yeah, that's exactly right. That's what's happening on Shabbat Hagadul. But then he said something, and I didn't see it until I came to the office. He must have texted it while I was driving. And he said, every great act of redemption is first preceded by a great act of courage. Every great act of redemption is always preceded by a great act of courage. Now, we're going to understand that when we understand Shabbat Hagadul. Why is this the great Sabbath, and how did this happen? But we've got to understand here that Moses, going before Pharaoh, 
would be equal to a Jew going before Hitler and saying, you let my people go and confessing that he was a Jew. It'd be like Esther going before the king, her husband. Now, understand this. Think about this in your own life as you're serving God. Every act of miracle redemption is preceded by your personal act of courage. And we're going to see this in a moment. So God sends Pharaoh to go speak to... uh, God sends Moses to go speak to Pharaoh. Of course, Egypt's economy was built on free labor. The slaves of the Jews. So Pharaoh says, absolutely not. Long story short, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, if you don't, here's a plague that's going to hit. The first plague, you know, was turning water into blood. Now, every one of the 10 plagues was to show the Jewish people that these false gods had no power when it came to Almighty God. And that's something that we need to teach our children, no matter what they're teaching in school, no matter what they see on television, no matter what they see, these false gods have no power when it comes to the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we could go through all the, all the, all the, the first nine plagues and every plague showed this God had no power. The last plague, and and by the way, we read about the 10 plagues in 30 seconds. And I think it's worthy to understand that the 10 plagues took about 10 months. It didn't happen like day one, the, the, the Nile turned to blood, day two, the frogs, day three, the lice. It didn't happen like that. It was, it was 10 months, it was eight to 10 months. Nobody knows exactly. Eight to 10 months. So it wasn't like they prayed and God did a miracle and they were out. And we need to remember that. Sometimes we need to keep going before Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. We need to keep going before Pharaoh and saying, devil, I bind you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you. And so many times, if it doesn't happen right away, we give up. We got to understand next to Jesus, Moses was the greatest in all the Bible. And it took him 10 months. But in that, it was a lesson not only to the world, not only to Pharaoh, not only to Egypt, but more important, it was a lesson to the children of God, no matter how dark it gets out there, in our house, the light of God is going to shine. Amen? Are you hearing what I'm saying? I would have loved it to be the day we all gathered down here and Lion was getting this test up in the hospital at seven months old and we were all gathered down here, all the staff and a bunch of friends, and we're saying it's going to be a positive report. We bind you. There's going to be a positive report. And we went to the hospital and they said, we got bad news for you. But we didn't give up then. We kept going before Pharaoh and saying, we bind you, devil. Let my people go. And that's a great, great lesson to learn here is that it doesn't always. See, we think faith, the miracle. And I I like when the miracle happens before I get to the mailbox. But sometimes it takes a while 
because it's not just about that miracle. It's about faith being in you that makes you a nation and a people of the living God. It's much deeper than that. So, so finally, on the 10th plague, Moses says to Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, then the firstborn of Egypt will die. Now, what you've got to understand here is the firstborn of Egypt includes all of the Egyptians. It includes the firstborn of all of their animals. But it also includes the firstborn of the Jews. Because they were in Egypt. See, I think a lot of times we as Christians think, well, as long as I don't stir any trouble up, I'm a Christian, the devil will pass me by. No, you've got to make a stand. You've got to stand up. You've got to do what God tells you to do. Remember what Mordecai said to Esther? For such a time as this. And she goes, well, man, if I go before the king, he could kill me. I, I would not be queen anymore. He could kill me, take everything. You know, he didn't even know I'm a Jew. And, and what Mordecai said, he said, you've been raised up for such a time as this. And don't you think if you don't say anything, you'll escape. You and your family will pay. And I'm telling you, that's a word of God from Passover, from Purim to Passover. That's the word of God. The church better start standing up, not in self-righteousness, not in hatred, but in the word of God. We better stand on the rock because when the storm hits, if you're building your life on the sand, you're going to get swept away with the rest of Egypt. Now, the second cup we would take right here is the cup of deliverance. What a lot of Christians don't understand, and of course you do because you sit under this teaching, is Jesus didn't just die on the cross to forgive us of our sin. He died, if all Jesus was going to do, listen to what I'm telling you, if all Jesus was going to do was die for our sin, he could have died in the garden. He could have died at the whipping post. There's no way that Jesus should have lived from the whipping post. They didn't give him 39 stripes. They gave him unlimited stripes because he, did, he was not beaten by, by Jews. He was beaten by Rome. Jews are limited to 39 stripes, 40 stripes minus one. There's nowhere in the Bible. You ask most Christians, how many stripes did Jesus receive? They'll say 39. Wrong. Paul received 39. There's nowhere in the Bible that says how many stripes Jesus received because it wasn't Jews that were beating Jesus. It was Romans and the, and, and history says he was beaten as no other man. His organs were hanging out of his back. And yet he didn't die. You watch him walking up the Via Della Rosa. You watch him with that cross. I've walked, I've been to Israel 38 times. I've walked to the Via Del Rosa, I don't know how many times. And you think about him getting all the way to Calvary and he'd fall over. And matter of fact, one time he fell over, last time he fell over, uh, he couldn't pick it up. And a black man came and lifted the cross for him. I, I think it's amazing when you talk about unity. Here's a Jew and a black man doing this thing together and getting to Calvary. Somebody ought to say unity. Amen. Why did he have to get, why didn't he just die there? 
Because the Bible says, and this is the second cup, the cup of deliverance. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Jesus didn't just take my sin. He took every family curse, every generational curse. I'm going to share this with you. And most of you know this. When Tiz got sick, you know, here Lion gets cancer and then Tiz gets cancer. And, I, and I'm saying, what in the world's going on? And they, they, they said, told Tiz, well, it's because other members of your family have this gene, this BRCA gene, and it's going to pass from, from you to your sons and your daughters, your grandsons. That's what they told us. And then they came back and said, well, you don't have that gene. We don't know where this cancer came from. And God spoke to me and said, a lot of Tiz's family have, some of Tiz's family, not a lot, some of Tiz's family have died of cancer, but others have died in bizarre ways, automobile accidents and early. And so we began to break the curse of death, not just of cancer, but of death. Yes. When you go to a doctor, they say, is there any family history? of heart condition, right, Doc? Any family history, right? Because they know it's passed through the blood, through the genealogies. But no matter what is passed physically, Jesus came and he died on the cross. He shed his blood. He shed his blood how many times? Seven times to break the genealogy curse, but he died on the cross and cursed is he who hangs on the tree. He broke the spiritual curse. And so when we take this second cup, we realize that not only did Jesus die for my sin, but he died on the cross to break every family curse, that curse of anger, the curse of failure, the curse of addiction, the curse of of depression, the curse of sickness, Whatever it is, the blood of Jesus and Jesus dying on that cross breaks every curse. Somebody shout amen. Now, let me go over. Well, let me, let me, let me think of how to do this the, the fastest way. Um, let me say this. The third cup is the cup of redemption. Somebody finish this scripture for me. We've been redeemed by what? If, if, have you ever heard somebody say he's deemed to be this or he's deemed that he's seen to be this through the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood seven times in the, in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. Whipping posts by his stripes were healed crown of thorns, breaking the curse. Adam and Eve were, were cursed by the sweat of their brow. See, if you, if we don't know this, we can't come boldly before the... When Adam and Eve worked in the garden, that's why I, I, when I taught that series on, on heaven the last couple of weeks, there's, we've got great jobs ahead of us when we go to heaven. We're not sitting on a cloud in a, in a little tutu playing a harp. We're ruling and reigning with Christ. Right? Okay, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were t- they wasn't like, oh, we got to work. Everything they put their hands to, it prospered. God bless everything. But then God threw them out of the garden and he cursed the ground. Now, instead of, you know, grapes the size of watermelons, now the earth is yielding thorns and thistles. They took that curse of the thorns 
And they placed him where? On the brow of Jesus. When God cursed your finances, and that's why, that's why God says he put him out of the garden and he placed him out of the garden. Everything God does has a physical and a spiritual. He put him out of the garden and he placed them out of the garden. Whenever you see two things repeating themselves, why is that? It's a secret. Whenever you he, God says, I put him out and I placed him out. Well, isn't that the same thing? He physically removed them. He physically removed them out of the Garden of Eden. And then he divorced himself from being Jehovah Jireh, the provider of mankind. Before everything they touched, just blossomed. But now it's thorns and thistles. But Satan is an idiot. So they took the curse of the thorns. God said, by the sweat of Adam's brow, no matter how hard you work, you're never going to get ahead. And then he took the curse, the thorns, put them on, on Jesus' brow. We're cursed by the sweat of Adam's brow. We're redeemed by the blood on Jesus' brow. His hands, nailed his hands. Not common to nail somebody on a crucifixion. They didn't go down to Home Depot, or excuse me, Lowe's. Sorry, Marvin, Lowe's. They couldn't go down to Lowe's and get a box of nails. They tied them. But they nailed Jesus. Why? Because everything you put your hands to, I'll cause it to prosper. Every place you put your foot, I'll give it to you for earnest. You've got to understand that when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it's finished. The curse is broken and we're redeemed. They shoved, his, they shoved his, the spear in his side. And out of his, out of his womb came blood and water. Doc, what, sur- what surrounds your heart? What is that? What is it? In a sack of fluid. So when they stuck it in the side, out of his wound came water and blood. And that's all symbolic of baptism and the blood of Jesus. It's all symbolic. But Jesus didn't die from them. He died from the broken heart of the weight of our sin. Right? And then the seventh place, he went through the gates of hell, stomped on the devil's forehead, bruised his heel. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, took the keys of life and death. This is why he says to Peter, Peter, who do men say that I am? They said, well, some say you're this. Some said, who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus has got the keys of life and death. He's got the keys of healing and health, prosperity and joy and happiness. He's got them. And he said, who do you say that I am? Peter gave a Jewish answer. You are the Christ. You are the burden removing. The wages of our sin is death. And the yoke destroying. The yoke is the curse that comes along with sin. And he said, you're the Christ. You're the one who removes the burden and breaks the yoke. Jesus said, on this revelation, I will build my church on this. Now listen to this. On this, the cup of sanctification, on this, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't win anymore. How many are ready for the devil not to win anymore? On this, you're the Christ. You're the burden removing and the yoke destroying anointed one of God. On this, I will build my church. So Jesus didn't just die for our sin. 
He died on the cross to break every curse. But leading up to that, he shed his blood seven different times so that we could be reconnected, redeemed to every promise of God from Abraham till now. Every promise of God is ours through Christ Jesus, our resurrected Lord and Savior. Somebody say amen. Amen. The fourth cup is the cup of what's called the cup of, in in English, um, the cup of completion, the cup of consummation. This is the cup that Jesus didn't drink. He said, I'm not going to drink this until the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, Judaism teaches that at Passover, you have to drink four cups. That's what it teaches. Jesus was an orthodox rabbi. He was the son of God. Surely he wouldn't, wouldn't break the rules. But remember, everything God does, there's a physical and a spiritual. Jesus leaves that place. Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus leaves that place, and he goes to the garden and prays. Now, we need to remember during Passover, remembering what Jesus did for us. Jesus, being the Son of God, and being a man, a human, like all of us, being the Son of God, he knew what they were going to do to him. He knew they would arrest him. He knew that they would rip his beard from his face. He knew that they would spit on him and laugh at him, mock him, take the crown of thorns with thorns that big and shove them into his skull. He knew it. He knew that they would nail him to a tree and they would laugh at him in front of his mother and his family and his friends. And so being a human, Jesus says, Lord, let this cup that completes it, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, Nonetheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I'll drink the cup. They come and arrest Jesus. They beat him. We know the story. They nail him to to the cross at Calvary. And he cries out at that time, I thirst. I thirst. They thought he meant he was thirsty. But what he's saying is, I thirst for the presence of God and for this to be over. They reached up with, 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 with uh, uh, vinegar, a wine that had turned into vinegar. I'm trying to think of the, I read it so much in Hebrew. Uh, and they reached up and he turned away. So this is not what I thirst for. And then all of a sudden he shouts, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Now, that's an Aramaic phrase. It's, it's, some of the words are Hebrew also. But Eli, Eli, my God, my God. And we translate it through the course of church history. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But those same words in Aramaic say, not my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those same words say, my God, my God, this is why you have strengthened me. This is why you have strengthened me. 
I love that. I, I, you know, I, I know, I know churchy people go, I don't want it to be different. Doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it make sense? Jesus wasn't caught on surprise. He said, no man takes my life. I give it. He knew that he was the Passover lamb. He was the lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of the world. Even John the Baptist said that at the day of at the River Jordan. So Jesus wouldn't go, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? No, he shouted, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, this is why you have strengthened me. Because at that moment he paid the price so that every one of us could receive him as our Passover lamb. When you look at the Seder tray, when you look at the Seder tray, you look at several things. One, you look at, obviously, the lamb shank. And if you realize that the Bible says that when the Messiah would die for our sins, not one bone in his body would be broken. If you look at the teaching, and we'll read it Sunday, on Passover... When Moses speaks, that God speaks to Moses, he tells the children, go get yourself a lamb and bring him in. And he says, make sure that none of you break one bone in his body. When Jesus, why is that important? Because it proves that Jesus is the Passover lamb. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it's finished, and he gave up the ghost, He'd only been on the cross for a few hours. It takes days. Romans, and and I know most of you understand this, but maybe some of you don't. Rome didn't just kill three people with a crucifixion. Rome killed tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of Jews. Crucifixion was not a Jewish thing. It was a Roman thing. That's why we got to quit blaming the Jews for killing Jesus. Amen. That, 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 that's, that's, and guess where, you know, where that came from Rome. That came from Rome. That the, the, the blaming of the Jews for killing Jesus was nowhere written in any church doctrine until 325 years after the resurrection of Jesus in what's now modern day Turkey called the council of Nicaea. There was not in one writing blaming the Jews for killing Jesus. It was all, and it wasn't even blaming the Romans. It just said the Romans did it. Because Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I give it freely. And so when, when Jesus hung on the cross and he died, they went to, the, the, the reason why they broke the thieves' legs, remember that, is because the rabbis knew that if somebody was crucified, there was a curse of God on them. And if they were still on the cross, come Shabbat, then the curse that was on that thief comes down on the people because the Jewish people have allowed the Sabbath to be violated. So they went to the first thief and did what? broke his legs because you don't die from the from the nails or the rope you die from suffocation you can't hold yourself up and your lungs and your ribcage and you suffocate so they went they they had to get him down it's almost shabbat it's almost the great shabbat 
And so they had to get him down. So they broke the thieves' legs on the right. And then the same thing, thieves' legs on the left. And then they went to Jesus and they said, well, it looks like he's already dead. Well, it can't be. He's only been up there a few hours. That's why they took a sword or a spear and they shoved it into a side. And out of that wound came blood. They wanted to see if he'd flinch, but he was already dead. So they didn't have to break his legs. Not that it's important. They probably crucified him here instead of here because your bone, your hands, is it flanges? The bones of your hands, doc? You would probably break the bones in here, but here's a perfect hole right here that they would nail him to. And so on the Seder plate, all over the world, there they have a lamb bone, a shank of a lamb, remembering the lamb that was sacrificed so that they could be redeemed. Then they have, and I'm so glad that Nancy and, and, and the girls got this, because the best illustration of this is romaine lettuce. I don't know if this is romaine lettuce, but it's, it, it, huh? Yeah, because it symbolizes, now remember, we're remembering, we're remembering what it was like for the Israelites to be in Egypt instead of the land they're supposed to be in. You know, one of the questions is, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? The reason why God hardened Pharaoh's heart is because had he allowed them to stay, the Jews would have not gone to Mount Sinai, got the Torah from there, gone to Israel where our Savior would come. They had to go. And by the way, in case it looks like harsh, that God was going to kill the firstborn, and we're going to talk about that in in the next couple services. Remember, God says, be not deceived, I'll not be mocked. What you sow, you're going to reap. Go all the way back to the start of this. Moses in the basket. They were killing the firstborn, and now they're reaping what they sowed. So this symbolizes Israel in Egypt at the beginning and at the end, and it symbolizes us in sin. When you first sin, tastes good. When Israel was first in Egypt, they were prospering, even though they weren't in the promised land. They were prospering. But then you get to where sin becomes hard and bitter. Being out of the promises of God, being out of the promised land, when they became slaves, became hard and became bitter. So many times the devil only reminds you of the good times. But you need to remember what it's like looking in the rearview mirror and seeing a police car. Right? Then you take, you would take with the kids and you take the, the matzah and you take horseradish. And horseradish, you give it, give it to your child to eat. Horseradish, I love horseradish. But too much heart. That's the real stuff. It looks so pleasant, but it burns. That's to remind us of sin. You take the parsley. Good job, girls. And parsley reminds you that come Passover, God is making everything new. God is making everything green. God is breaking every curse, and literally, I love the way they say it, giving you a new beginning. Amen? Amen? Then you have the, uh, 
the the it's nuts and apples and honey and this is to remind you of the mortar that Pharaoh took from them when he wouldn't even give them the mortar to make the bricks and the straw to make the bricks but then you eat it and you realize it doesn't look maybe doesn't look so good but when you eat it it's so tasty and that's to remind you of God delivering you from what the Pharaoh had you doing and the way the Pharaoh had you living. You take the, the, uh, the lettuce and you dip it in the salt water. And the salt water reminds you that sin looked good. But the salt water reminds you of the tears that you shed before you knew the deliverer. How many times did we say, oh, God, help me. I'll never do it again. And that's to remind you that the sin that looks so good causes tears. You think about how many marriages get broke up because of a stupid thing. How many businesses fail because if I could just cheat a little bit more. It always looks good. The devil doesn't come and, and, and say, here, eat, eat this pile of mud. No, he makes it look good, but it brings about salty tears. And then the last thing on the plate, and and we'll we'll show you the, the last thing in the plate is the egg. And the egg is symbolic of the first fruit offering. When, when do you, any, anybody here was ever a farmer? Anybody ever, anybody ever raised chickens? When do you normally go and gather the eggs? In the morning. And it's saying that when you bring your first fruit offering, and it begins with Passover. Remember, Passover is 30. Shavuot, Pentecost is 60. Feast of Tabernacles, 100-fold unlimited. That when you start with Passover, it gives you a new beginning. Not just to the day, but to the year. And it never ends. It's the circle of God's blessing. All right, now let me show you one other thing. Boy, I didn't even get to Shabbat Haggadah. It's probably Tiz saying I'm going too long. It is. No. (laughs) My horseshoe. On Passover, you, you eat unleavened bread. Every Seder table has this sleeve. And it's interesting because nobody really knows why. But in this sleeve, you have buried three different matzahs. Matzah is unleavened bread. You have the top layer. You have the middle layer. And you have the bottom layer. Now, there's no explanation of why three. But on every Jew around the world, every one of our Jewish brothers and sisters around the world are doing this right now. They will take not the top one, not the bottom one, but the middle one. Where is my linen? This one here? Yeah, it should be white, but I'll use this. shouldn't be black. (laughs) That's for a Gentile funeral. (laughs) They take the middle one and 
They don't know why, but it does represent to them the Messiah. Now, if you look at every matzah, anywhere in the world, every matzah, which represents the Messiah, is pierced. Can you see it? And striped. Every matzah. It's always been that way. So they take the matzah and they break it. This is where Jesus said, this is my body, which was broken for you. As often as you do this, remember me. Remember what I did. They take half the matzah and they rebury it. They take the other half and they wrap it in a white linen cloth and then the children are all to hide their eyes the, the this this matzah here is called afikumen which means the dessert or what the dessert or the 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 the, the ending of it and so this is taking place during the the passover about the middle of the passover meal and they have the children ho- close their eyes, and then the moms or the dads or sabas and nanas, they go in somewhere in the room in the house. They, they hide the part of the pierced and striped matzah that's wrapped in white linen, and they go hide it somewhere. And then at the end of all of this, they send the kids out, and they make it a big celebration. You're cold, you're cold, cold, colder, 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 warmer, warmer, warmer. So it's a big, exciting thing. And then you're hot, you're hot, you're hot. And they find and they unwrap the Messiah. And they all bring it down together. All the kids, grandkids, kids, they all bring it down together. And there's a big celebration and they get treats and they get sweets and they get desserts and everything. And it's a big celebration for finding the hidden Messiah. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So after the four cups, after... The kids run around and find the hidden Messiah. If you notice, we actually have another cup. And this cup is the cup of Elijah. And the tradition is, is that while you're having Passover, you leave your door open. Now, it's kind of dangerous to do that nowadays. But you do this not only on Passover, you're supposed to do this on Shabbat. And of course, we're not saying to do that. But you leave it open so if strangers come by and it's all dark out there and they see this beautiful light glowing around your family. And, and this would be true in Israel. If you ever been, the, Jews would just walk in. They'd walk in. In fact, they'd see you and they'd come in, come in, come in. And so you leave your door open Because the more that understand that redemption comes from the Messiah, the closer we are to the second coming of the Messiah. So the door's been open. It's all over. And you would send your kids to the door and say, look up, look around. Do you see him? 
do you see him? And they would say, Saba, Abba, who, who am I looking for? Elijah. You're looking for Elijah. Now, why Elijah? And I, I, I don't have time to teach this tonight. But tonight's, somebody tell me, what is the, what does it mean, the Torah portion? Somebody tell me. What is it? Okay, the Torah are the first five books of Moses. The Torah portion is the part of those first five books that's assigned to us to read every week. So every week you read this part. And it's not the same year after year because the calendar changes by the moon. Somebody tell me what the Haftorah is. What's the, anybody know what the Haftorah is? The what? It, yeah, it's the prophets, it's the writings. The Haftorah actually means the leaving or the departing. And so after you read the Torah portion... Then you go to the Haftorah, and this is where you hear from the prophets. Do you know what the Haftorah portion is tonight, by coincidence? Malachi. The Haftorah portion tonight, and understand, it doesn't happen this way except by the moon. It cha- that's why it's different all the time. The Haftorah portion is Malachi. Now, most people will talk about Malachi because this is first fruits, but listen to this. This is the cup of Elijah. This is the cup of Elijah. And I, I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to teach this because I found something today, and that's why I text Rabbi. Am I right on this? And he goes, you're absolutely right on this. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. But Malachi, we think Malachi is just about tithes and offerings, and that's all we know about it. But ancient Jewish wisdom says this. Malachi is the last prophet before we know the New Testament that God spoke to. Do you know what the last words was are? The last words, what are they? Follow the laws of Moses. And what's the very last part of that? The hearts of the fathers will return to the children, and the hearts of the children will return to the fathers. Now, let me explain that. And I, I, I wish I had time, but I don't want to keep you. I told Scotty and the guys in the back, I said, this, I got a four-hour teaching here. <laughs> the very last words, the very last words of the very last Old Testament prophet was, God would send Elijah. And he would speak to the children. And the children would lovingly Show the fathers. Here is what the word of God says. And the fathers would return to God. And when they return, the fathers would then embrace the children and say, let me teach you the secrets of the Torah. The fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. The children are us. And the whole thing about Malachi, and I'll explain how it works Sunday. The whole thing about Malachi is not about money. It's about there's something unique going to happen amongst Gentiles. And when this happens, 
Elijah will come to the Gentiles. Elijah will come to the Gentiles. Now, in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for what? Tonight, the Haptor is this. And the Gentiles will begin to understand things. And God says, lovingly, show these things to the fathers. What did Paul say? He said, we would provoke them to jealousy. How many times have we heard Jewish people say, you know, I was t- I was, we were talking in the back, and I said, there's a, one of my best friends that we have Shabbat with all the time in Jerusalem, and it will be, he'll be teaching at the table of the Torah, and he'll look at me, and he's an Orthodox Jew, and he'll look at me and go, am I right on this? <laughs> he goes, Pastor Larry knows the Torah. And you think about us returning to our roots, and think about me ta- texting Rabbi Lappin, asking Rabbi Lappin, share with me the revelation. That just happened today. Share with me the revelation of the Torah. He goes, yeah, you got that right, but here's another part of it. And so this whole thing leads to preparation of the coming of the Messiah. Now, let me close with this, and and then we'll do do Shabbat, if I'm not too long. We're good? I believe the Messiah comes between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Because the Bible says these feasts are a shadow of things to come. A shadow of things. They're the same thing. It's just a shadow until the real thing gets there, right? And we know that the Jews still to this day believe the Messiah will show himself in Jerusalem on Passover. He did. He did. And Jesus came riding in on a donkey. You'll see on Sunday that when Moses told the children of God about the lamb, he says, go get a lamb. And then he says, he will be your lamb because he is the lamb. Go get a lamb, for he will be your lamb. And when he's your lamb, you'll know him as the lamb. So Passover is a preparation for Elijah to come. And when Elijah comes, he will bring the hearts of the children to the fathers. And the hearts of the fathers to the children. And together... We will build that one new man with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Folks, we are... Ten years ago, I was labeled a heretic for what I teach. I was a heretic for what I teach. Today, it's the most watched and responded to teaching, either number one or number two, on Christian television. Now, let me, let me share one more. Can I share one more thing? Why is this Shabbat Haggadol? Real quick. God speaks to the slaves, the, Egypt, the Israelites, and says, go get a lamb. The lamb was a god of Egypt. So they're bringing it. They're bringing it. 
tens of thousands of lambs. And the Egyptians see this and said, what are you doing? What are you doing with those lambs? And they said, we're going to sacrifice it so that the angel of death doesn't touch our family. Now, this is one reason they call it the great Shabbat. The firstborn owned all the businesses. The firstborn owned the slaves. So the firstborn already saw the nine plagues happen exactly the way God said it would happen. They already saw it. So they go to Pharaoh and they said, you need to get, out, get these people out of here. You need to let them go. You need to get them out. And the Bible says that Pharaoh, ancient Jewish wisdom says not only Pharaoh, but the fathers of the firstborn refuse to let him go. And so the firstborn formed an army and destroyed a huge portion of Pharaoh's military strength and their own fathers. And so why is this the great Shabbat? Why is this the great, great Sabbath? Why is that? Because all of a sudden, the ones who have been your enemy becomes your ally. Now, I want you to think about this. One of the things that we do when we receive first fruit offering on Sunday is we take that first fruit offering and we, take, we give it to the nation of Israel. In, in the last three years, I think we've given $5 million dollars for Jews to return last three or three and a half years, I think around $5 million for Jews to return to Israel. Amen. You've done that. You've done that. You've done that. Think about that. The ones who were the enemy, the Christians now have become the friends, the allies. When darkness turns to light, Ancient Jewish wisdom says it is a sign the Messiah is on his way. Folks, we're a part of that. By God's grace, we're a part of that. All right. Do we, do we have time? What time is it? What, what time is it? 840. 840. Is it okay to do Shabbat real quick? All right. Here's how you do Shabbat. First off, and, and we will do Shabbat next Friday. Next Sunday, we'll do communion. Not this Sunday. The following Sunday. There are so many things going on, I don't know. On, on Resurrection Sunday, we'll do, we'll do uh, Shabbat. Okay, so on Passover, you would do unleavened bread, but because this is not Passover, this is Shabbat Hagadul, we'll do regular. What you have is you have, and I'll say this very quickly, you have two pieces of what's called challah bread. Bread is symbolic of prosperity. When Israel was in the desert, God caused manna to fall from heaven. Every day, God provided. But God said, God said, on the sixth day, if you'll keep the Sabbath, then I'll give you a double portion. By the way, they broke the Sabbath. Right, right off the bat, they broke the Sabbath and they went out and gathered. And that's one of the reasons why they were in trouble for 40 years. They broke the Sabbath. They, God gave it to them. They go, yeah, we're going to do it. And boom, they went right out and, and blew it. But the hollow represents a double portion. 
I believe that during the COVID and during the, the economic crisis, that God is going to show himself on our behalf, on your behalf, so strong to give everybody economically, financially, your business, your job, your investments, a double portion. Can I have an amen? So when you break the bread, you actually say this prayer. Baruch and what that prayer is, and, and the reason I, I explain it is it ties in with this, is what that prayer is, is not, not thanking God for wheat that comes out of the ground, but thanking God for bread that comes out of the ground. Well, we know that bread doesn't come out of the ground. What does that mean? Very shortly. It means that our life is not to be toiling under the curse that Jesus broke by the sweat on, on Adam's brow and by the blood on Jesus' brow. That everything we put our hands to, God's blessing and God's abundance and God's prosperity is there for us. Now, let me remind you, before you ever do Shabbat, and, and I don't have a stetkah box up here, before you ever do Shabbat, you have a, 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 a box for the offering for and we're going to receive an offering at the end of this. When you go, you just give. On Shabbat, we're not allowed to keep the offering. Anything that comes in to the church, it, you're not allowed to keep it. This offering that you give tonight or that you send in through stream or however you do that, this offering goes to Israel. And so the, before you ever release the double portion, every time God's getting ready to bless you, he first gives you a chance to be a blessing. Every one of our grand sugars, every one of our kids have learned that before we light the candles, before we, we receive the blessing, we are a blessing to someone. Kids in Haiti, kids in Cuba, kids in Africa, uh, Holocaust survivors. We're doing a whole new thing with the Holocaust survivors. So we're a blessing. So say this with me out loud. Say, Baruch, Atah, Adonai, Eloheinu, Melik, Aholam, Hamotzi, Lechemin, God, bring a double portion to every one of our lives in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus our Messiah. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. And then you've, we've taken the four cups, the cup of consummation. This symbolizes the seven places Jesus shed his blood. It symbolizes the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. The joy of the Lord. Anything that's stealing your joy is defeated in Jesus name. Do you receive that? Father, we thank you for the blessing of Sabbath. We bless, thank you, Father, that all of our sons will be like Ephraim and Manasseh, and all of our daughters will be like Rebecca, Sarah, Rachel, and Leah. We thank you for divine health, divine joy, divine peace, divine prosperity. We thank you for the blessing that you allowed us to be a part in standing for the name of Jesus, standing for the kingdom of God, and standing with our Jewish brothers and sisters around the world and the nation of Israel. And Father, we ask you to bless us even greater this year. Let us be a greater blessing. Let us change the world in ways that we can't even imagine. And we give you and will give you all the praise and all the glory. In the name of Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, who is the Messiah. 
Happy Passover. Lachaim. That's all I got. You're, you, you're dismissed as you go. We're going to receive the Sabbath offering and the, the plates will be out there and this will go to Israel. God bless you. Come Sunday, bring somebody. It's first fruits. Amen.